Congress has a relief bill. Oh, finally, it's been so long since we got a relief bill out of Congress after our elected officials told us to completely shut down the country and stop living our lives. You remember the first time they gave us about 1200 bucks? Not all of us, by the way, just some people, they give 1200 bucks, uh, which is, you know, I guess it's good for a week, two weeks, maybe a month. Uh, it's probably not enough to get you through 11 months and Congress realized that. So they pass a trillion dollar coronavirus relief bill and also a $1.4 trillion omnibus bill. Why? I don't know. That's who knows. Look, if you spend some money on something people really need, you got to spend a whole lot more money on a bunch of other stuff. This package will expand the Paycheck Protection Program. That'll open up uh, $248 billion in funding for struggling businesses, which we've noticed uh, curiously very often goes to companies connected to politicians. But hey, you'll get some money too. Do you know how much money you'll get after the government told you you've got to stay home, don't go to work, get locked up in your apartment? You will get 600 bucks, 600 bucks. So 600 bucks plus 1200 bucks that we got last time. It's been 282 days since 15 days to slow the spread. So I'm no math whiz, but if I'm doing that math right, that means that the federal government to compensate us for shutting down our entire lives will pay us $6.38 a day. That's if the money is received today. It won't be. Actually, you'll be getting a little bit less. Is that going to get us through 2020, 2021? However long the lockdown lasts, you better save your pennies. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. My favorite comment from yesterday is from Oliver Scat, who says, our definition of essential has been changed drastically. I think this is true. You know, people who get on Zoom calls and teach students about gender theory, that's now essential, but the police department is not essential. We actually, we've got to defund the whole police department. You see, going to the local head shop or Whole Foods, very essential. Going to church, not essential. That is not hypocrisy. That's a new standard that is being foisted upon us. Things are getting very strange very quickly. Things are fraying apart very quickly. Frankly, I was not prepared for how crazy this year would be, but I will be prepared in the future thanks to ReadyWise. ReadyWise is the leader in emergency food supplies and they have terrific products. Emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition, new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. Order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. ReadyWise products are proudly made in the USA. You absolutely should not have to sacrifice taste and nutrition with emergency food. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients and latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. Each recipe is crafted by a team of chefs to provide delicious nutritional meals, especially during critical times. With a 99% satisfaction rate, with millions of products sold, ReadyWise has become the leader in emergency preparedness. This, to me, is so simple. First of all, ReadyWise tastes great. That's sort of beside the point. You just want to be prepared. You just want peace of mind. ReadyWise will give you that. This week, my listeners can get 15% off at ReadyWise.com when entering Knowles. 15 at checkout or by calling 855-453-2945. ReadyWise 
has a 30-day no-questions-asked return policy. There is no risk taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That is R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E dot com, promo code Knowles15 to get 15% off. Go check it out. $6.38. Thank you so much, Congress. Thank you. I feel like I'm the, a little pauper. Congress, may I have some more? No, you want some more? A little more, little more than $6.38 per day, please. It's actually going to be less than that because obviously people aren't going to get their checks today. Who knows when they're going to get their checks? Frankly, in my view, the uh, president should veto this. This is a ridiculous, ridiculous bill. Uh, Senator Cruz, just I, I actually just saw this headline. Senator Cruz came out against it. A lot of conservatives are coming out against this. This thing is a, a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace of a bill. It's not just conservative Republicans who are opposed to it. You've even got some Democrats, including maybe our favorite Democrat these days, Tulsi Gabbard, who is having none of this COVID relief bill. Hey, everybody. I just got back from having voted on the House floor on this massive spending bill. I voted against it, and I wanted to tell you why. First of all, this bill was over 5,500 pages long. We received the text of this bill at approximately 2.30 this afternoon, and we're told we'd have to go and vote on it just a few hours later. There is no way that anybody in Congress had the opportunity or the time to go through and read this bill to know exactly what was in it. I've been here long enough to see how provisions are snuck into these bills in the, literally in the dark of night without any announcement, without telling anyone what is in it, and then rushed through in the manner that we have just seen tonight. This is the height of irresponsibility, and it is absolutely no way for the people's representatives to be able to represent the interests of the American people. Absolutely true. Now, what Tulsi is focusing on here is the procedural aspect, the formal aspect of this, how the bill was written, how the bill was sent over to Congress, how the the representatives had no time to read it before voting on it. So yeah, procedurally, that's pretty messed up. There are also substantive issues with the bill. If you're going to have a relief bill, <laughs> give people some money. Don't, don't give them, and it really is, not everybody is going to get the money too. So it's actually going to, obviously it's going to be significantly less than, than this, this uh, amount. It's not going out to every single American. And, and it's just an excuse, basically. The Congress gives, you know, a little pittance of money to the American people, and then they sneak in all of their preposterous, largely preposterous plans there as well. Tulsi has really impressed a lot of us, I think, in the past six months. I was not one of those Republicans who was really on board for Tulsi during the primary. There were a handful of, of them who said, oh, you know, she's anti-war. I really like Tulsi. Okay, that's fine. But she's broadened out some of her political thought. She's by far, I think, the most moderate Democrat as a practical matter on abortion. Uh, she's, uh, by the way, not even just on those sort of hot button issues, even on sort of slightly more esoteric issues, issues that don't really get a lot of play. Uh, she's come out pretty strongly. Tulsi Gabbard is now coming out actually against the federal bureaucracy, the deep state, the administrative state, the conservatives are always crowing on about myself included. Tulsi Gabbard is going after those unelected technocrats and implying that in a free country, a free people should govern ourselves. Heartless, arrogant, unelected CDC bureaucrats have decided that the lives of elderly Americans just don't count. 
Now for months, the CDC has been telling us that the elderly are the most vulnerable, but now they are recommending that 100 million so-called essential workers, which means healthy people working at everything from liquor stores to telephone companies, that they can get the vaccine before our grandparents can that members of Congress like me, we can get the vaccine before at-risk seniors can. People like my aunt, who is, is imprisoned in her own home because of the danger that if she catches the disease, she could die. This is immoral and bad health policy. I had planned to take the vaccine, but will now stand in solidarity with our seniors by not doing so until they can. I urge my colleagues in Congress who are under the age of 65 and healthy to join me. I love it. I love, I'm still not going to vote for Tulsi Gabbard because she's obviously more liberal than I am by a lot. But I tell you what, if, if the election were between Tulsi Gabbard and Joe Biden, it would be a no brainer. If the election were between Tulsi Gabbard and the Clintons, it'd be a no brainer. If the election were between Tulsi Gabbard and AOC or Bernie Sanders or whoever, it'd be a no brainer. She is saying sensible things and she is thinking for herself, which raises this question. I actually had a journalist ask me this question yesterday. If, you know, assuming Joe Biden does get it, the court won't come in and save the day. Assuming all of that, will there be a new coalition that forms a kind of political reordering? So you've got the liberal establishment, which is the Biden types aided and abetted by the squishy Republicans, you know, all the, the Lincoln project or the Romney tie, those guys. Do you think that that will be one coalition and that the woke left and the kind of, I don't know, you could call it red pilled or based right. Could they come together and form a coalition to attack what has been disparaged as the unit party? You know, the, that the Bush Clinton, that kind of thing. I don't think so. I think that's fanciful thinking. I think Tulsi Gabbard is totally the outlier here. She should be lauded for her efforts, but I, I don't think that's going to happen because the thing about the liberal establishment is they give the woke left what they want over time, slowly. The, the progression of the liberal establishment for the last 70 years has been to the left. It's never gone back to the right. It is always more to the left. Some people like the AOC types are impatient. They want this to go faster. But just look at Biden's prospective picks. They're very radical people. They're extraordinarily partisan people. They're not interested in unity and healing, which we'll find out later. You've got more prominent Democrats and Democrat helpers calling for <laughs> Republicans to die, like we were talking about yesterday. And, you, you know, you've got the occasional person who's waking up out of this on the left, you know, like Tulsi Gabbard, who's saying, wait a second, these technocrats don't have the right to form our political priorities. Uh, this is so far beyond the realm of science or figuring out what works. You've now got these heartless bureaucrats at the CDC telling you that your granny doesn't deserve the vaccine because they, they find other people to be more favored than these elderly people. I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of coalition here between the woke left and the red-pilled right because you know, the woke left realizes where their bread is buttered. They realize the liberal establishment is much easier to work with and much more likely to give them the concessions that they want in the long run. You know, there, there is a double standard here. You'll see it actually on public health. 
the, the way that skepticism of the virus and the vaccine for that matter is talked about will vary depending on which group you're in. If you're in a favored group, you'll be talked, talked about with great compassion. You'll be given a lot of leeway. If you're in a disfavored group, if you're a conservative, you will be mocked, you will be castigated, you'll be coerced into violating your conscience, even on, even on a matter as private and personal as your medical life. And medical life is very personal. It is very private. You know, sometimes people don't want to have these difficult conversations. That's why you got to go check out Hims. Hims is helping guys look their best. All right. If you have not checked them out yet, it is time to see what they're all about. 66% of men start to lose their hair by age 35. This is very scary for me because 66% of men start to lose their hair by then. I derive 97% of my power from my hair, so I better not lose it. Once you've noticed thinning hair, sometimes it's too late, frankly. The best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created by a guy who knows some men's health conversations that they're a little bit easier online than they are in person. No more in-person doctor's visits or long pharmacy lines, just a uh, uh, answer a quick que- few questions. A medical professional r- will review, and if they determine that it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. It- it's very simple. You know, w- we should use the technological advancements that can help us. That are very simple. Hims is just like this. Uh, giving you their best offer yet today. If you're not happy with your result after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, my listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to forhims.com/knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, forhims.com/knowles. Prescription products require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com/knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. There's a big double standard going on here. So there's a survey app. This is a Kaiser survey. 35% of black adults say they definitely or probably won't get the vaccine. And frankly, I don't blame them. There, there's an argument now that because of historical injustices, you know, uh, black people should be wary of science. But I'm not even just saying that. I'm just saying if you're perfectly healthy, if you're young, then there's not a very compelling argument for you to go get the vaccine, right? If you're 99.7% likely to survive the virus or, or more, by the way, if you're younger and healthier, then why would you do that? You, you have greater risks of many other activities that you go out all day long. If you're in a higher risk category, then maybe it makes a lot more sense to go get the vaccine. But look, that's how conservatives are talking about this issue. What the left has been saying is if you are in any way questioning the absolute necessity of getting this vaccine, you are an evil, stupid, uneducated, anti-vaxxer, I don't know, whatever, whatever words they use. Now, that's how conservatives are talked about. Face the Nation on CBS has the Surgeon General of the United States on. Surgeon General, who has given contradictory guidance at various times on the masks and other aspects of the pandemic, goes on and he says, I was actually pleased to hear this, he says he understands why some people are skeptical and feel like they don't need to go get the vaccine. He speaks about this matter specifically. He's, he's a black guy. He's talking to the black American community. He's saying, I, I understand given not just the, what's going on right now, but historically, it makes perfect sense for you to be skeptical of these sorts of vaccines. I've talked previously about the, the history uh, of, of mistreatment of 
communities of color, the Tuskegee experiments, the terrible treatment of Henrietta Lacks and her family and how they just took herself without her permission. Uh, we need to understand that that distrust comes from a real place. It actually comes from my office. Uh, several surgeons general oversaw for 40 years the Tuskegee studies where treatment was denied to black men. And I walk past their pictures every single day when I go into my office. So believe you me, this legacy is important to me. And, and helping restore that trust is important. We've had many uh, people involved in the review and actually a study participants of color. Uh, okay, this is great. I like this. I like uh, This is how I want my appointed officials and the lab coat people. And this is how I want them to speak to us. I want them to acknowledge that there are political considerations that people have every right to take into account that are not merely matters of science and therefore beyond the realm of legitimate debate. That was good. I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about the vaccines in this way. I'm glad we're talking about science broadly in this way, because the, the scientific experts work within the realm of politics and we have control over politics. We, the people, except not every group who questions the lab coat dictators is being talked about in this way. If you change the channel, you go over to MSNBC, you listen to Chris Hayes and his experts on TV you get a very different perspective when it's the conservatives who are questioning the medical geniuses. We have watched the, the sort of right-wing disinformation machine, which is enormous and very powerful, get behind the idea that the election was stolen and fraudulent, despite the fact it's a complete lie. And they have pumped that into the minds of tens of millions of people. And it is an open question now whether they do the same with the vaccine tonight. Uh, my understanding is that uh, Tucker Carlson was, was starting to sort of toy with that, right? If they decide to do that, uh, then th we will have a real problem on our hands. We're going to have a real problem if these evil, oh, like Tucker Carlson, could you imagine Tucker Carlson suggesting that there's any reason to be skeptical of the vaccine? Hey, buddy, the Surgeon General of the United States just said there's reason to be skeptical. And a lot, by the way, a lot of left-wingers have said this, but there's reason to be skeptical, specifically in the case of if you're black, because there have been these medical experiments done on black people and they weren't always aware of what was going on. And that really is pretty perverse. And, and people who had been given public trust sometimes violated that public trust. Yeah, right. So extrapolate that out to other issues, to other authorities, to other segments of the population. Double standard. You, you would never hear them speak this way on the left about conservatives, the way that they speak about, I don't know, whether you're a favored racial group or a favored sexual group or, or whichever. There's, there's, by the way, there's an, a new standard here on the vaccines. There's that fake Republican, Anna Navarro, who was yelling at Marco Rubio yesterday because he got the vaccine. You know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're, if you don't get the vaccine, you're imperiling lives. If you do get the vaccine, you're taking it away from people who really need it. Anna Navarro is now saying people in the Republican Party should not get the vaccine because they supported Trump and therefore they're evil and therefore they don't deserve it. Uh, I take it, you know, the, the answer to this question of, of who should get the vaccine first is pretty obvious. And that answer does not include Marco Rubio. I don't think it should include uh, the senators, period. Particularly, listen, there's something that really gets stuck, I think, in my craw and other people's craw at the idea that people who have been enabling Donald Trump downplaying the COVID virus, calling it a hoax, 
who have attended, spoken at, encouraged, promoted, and participated in so many of his reckless rallies where people have been packed like sardines and have spoken at these rallies knowing people are there maskless, who have attended super spreader events at the White House, like we've seen, you know, so many people get infected with COVID at them, and then, and then, after they've been selfish, after they've been reckless, after they've been servile to Donald Trump, then they get to jump the line and go in front of people who are in nursing homes and go in front of people who've been risking their lives for 10 months. So according to Anna Navarro, she's making a simple point, right? So let's hear it out. Let's debate it. According to Anna Navarro, if you engage in behavior that makes you more likely to get this illness, then you don't deserve treatment for this illness. Okay, that's Anna Navarro's point of view. What does Anna Navarro think about AIDS? What was she saying during the AIDS epidemic? Because right now she's saying if you engage in behavior, call it reckless, but any kind of behavior that makes you more likely to get the illness, then you don't deserve treatment. There are behaviors that make you more likely to get all sorts of illnesses. Use the example of AIDS. People who engage in those behaviors, they don't deserve treatment. Is that right, Anna Navarro? Is that what you would, somebody tells me that's not what you would say. What if, let's bring it back to COVID. What if, and I know there's this brilliant genius medical theory out there that public health experts have signed on to actually, that if you go to a conservative rally, a Trump rally, you're, you're dangerous, you're reckless, you're going to get COVID. If you go to a BLM riot, you're not, you're fine. You can't, you, you, you won't even have your COVID counted in the official statistics. According to, according to some people, that's what they want. So if you go, I, I dispute this medical theory that the virus is so woke that it only affects conservatives. If you go to the BLM rally and you get COVID, do you not deserve treatment? You're showing up, it's reckless, you're in huge crowds, you're grabbing lots of Gucci handbags and you're probably not wearing gloves while you do that. You know, you're grabbing lots of sneakers. If you're, if you're at the Antifa part of those rallies, you're grabbing all sorts of weapons and throwing them at people, beating people up. So you're having a lot of contact, like with people's skulls, you know, between your knuckles and your, and their skulls. So reckless behavior, more likely to be infected. Do you not deserve treatment? No, it is a, a double standard. But as we were discussing yesterday, it's, it's not necessarily hypocrisy because the left is kind of open about this standard, right? They say, yeah, certain groups should get special privileges and certain groups should be punished. Yeah, leftists should get to do whatever they want and conservatives should be punished. Left-wing political agendas should be called science and beyond the realm of political debate, conservatives should not even have a voice in the public square in their own government. George Takei took this a little bit further. George Takei, do you know, he was on Star Trek, I guess, like 400 years ago. And for some reason, he he has a voice in the public square. I don't I don't know what I've never seen Star Trek, and I don't know that I've ever watched George Takei do anything beyond one of those little social media videos. But whatever, he you know he's very ardent left wing liberal, and he tweets out, "quote There are very very few instances of known allergic reactions to the COVID nineteen vaccine, but Marco Rubio has always thought of himself as one in a million, so there's still hope." It's actually kind of a funny line, right? but. And George Takei, you know, he's an entertainer. He's making a political point here, isn't he? And the political point is, I hope Marco Rubio has an adverse reaction to this vaccine. And maybe some of these allergic reactions kill people. So ha 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 ha. I hope 
Marco Rubio suffers an injury or possibly dies. Ha 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 ha. Unity and healing. Very unity. Much healing. <laughs> you heard this, Joe Biden, this is his new line, right? We need unity. We need healing. Come to, just look, concede the election, realize you lost. We're probably going to end the filibuster, add a bunch of states. You're never going to win again. But don't worry, because we're going to give you a lot of unity and healing. Meanwhile, his campaign manager and and prospective deputy chief of staff says, yeah, those Republicans are all a bunch of effers. Yeah, those, oh, what a bunch of effers. But don't worry, we'll work with them. That's the sort of unity and healing that, assuming the election keeps going the way it looks like it's going after January 20th, that's the sort of unity and healing you can expect. And I do think we need to, we need to be prepared for this. I, more than anybody maybe, or at least as much as anybody, I've said, don't concede before you have to. Let's hold out for this thing. Don't give them an extra minute of legitimacy. Uh, now you're seeing even some of the most ardent voices on the right say that this thing is over up to and including Pat Robertson, who is pretty hardcore. Okay. Pat Robertson makes a lot of conservative Republicans blush. He is so hardcore. He's also been around politics now for, I don't know, a hundred years or something. I mean, he's, he's up there in age. Robertson believes this election is over, which means we need to start looking else. I don't know where else we could project our hopes. We have to project our hopes. If they're not happening in politics, you got to project them obviously up to the heavens and you can project them up to the sort of physical heavens by watching Apollo 11, what we saw, become a Daily Wire insider or above member right now for 20% off with code watch over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get 20% off your membership with code watch and access all of our new and existing content. Uh, lots of reasons to subscribe. You can become an elite all access member. You get to hang out. You get to see us. We got the PragerU catalog coming to us. We've got uh, which includes, by the way, my book club show at PragerU. We've got Candace Owens coming to us. We've got all sorts of new stuff for the new year. Go check it out at dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Pat Robertson is calling the election. I'm very sorry to hear that because Pat Robertson pretty tough as nails Republican. Uh, Pat Robertson said my favorite phrase maybe ever in modern politics. This guy said, this is in a 1992 fundraising letter. He said, the feminist agenda is not about equal rights for women. It is about a socialist anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism and become lesbians. <laughs> you know, and you listen to that, and you say, gosh, that's, that's uh, pretty, pretty radical. Uh, but much like Bertrand Russell with the ontological argument, it's easier to think that he's wrong and to quite point out the flaw in, in his logic. Regardless, uh, Pat Robertson, no squish, right? He's never been a squish. He says, Joe Biden is going to be the president. I think it's all over. I think the electoral college has spoken. I think the, the Biden uh, corruption uh, has not uh, totally been brought to, to uh, a fruition, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the Electoral College. And I don't think the Supreme Court is going to move in to do anything. And I think uh, we're going to see a President Biden. And I also think we'll be seeing a President Kamala Harris not too long after the inauguration of President Biden. 
That is so depressing. But listen to the way Pat Robertson's talking, at least when he's opening up here. He's not saying this is what we should do. This is what I hope happens. He's being purely descriptive. He's saying, look, there were these avenues to challenge the results of the election. You could do it in court and you can get to the either the state legislatures or before they send their electors or to the electors themselves. The court, the courts, I think have shut down a lot of cases, but in the, in the real tough cases where they should have taken up the issue, where Ted Cruz said he was going to go argue it before the Supreme court, Supreme court refused to get involved. They want nothing to do with this. They don't want a Bush v. Gore. They don't want the attention. So they refuse to even hear the case. So courts are out. You could get to the state legislature. Well, the state legislature has already sent their electors. They didn't decertify the vote. So now what could the electors be faithless? Could, they, could we challenge the votes in Congress, in the House and in the Senate? Yes, there are some members who've said they're going to challenge the votes. Uh, the, the historical analog for that would be the Compromise of 1877. We actually covered it on this show. I think we're the only show in politics that was covering the Compromise of 1877 to give some insight into this election. And the sad fact is, uh, it does not seem that there is the political will to do anything like that. So Robertson, totally descriptive here saying, probably it's over. But he, he went further and, and actually went after Trump a little bit, which made me quite crestfallen. With all his talent and the ability of, to raise money and draw large crowds, the president still lives in an alternate reality. He really does. People say, well, he lies about this, that, and the other. But no, he isn't lying. To him, that's the truth. He had the biggest crowd on Inauguration Day. He had, the, he had more people than ever. Uh, he was the most popular uh, people. Uh, he saved NBC, but with The Apprentice. You know, you go down the line of things that really aren't true. And, you know, people kept pointing to them. But because they loved him so much and he was so strong for the evangelicals, the evangelicals were with him all the way. But there was something about him that was good, that God placed him in that uh, office for the time. He's done a marvelous job for the economy. But at the same time, uh, he is very erratic and he, uh, he's fired people and he's fought people and he's insulted people and keeps going down the line. So it's, it's a mixed bag. And I think it, it would be well to say, uh, you've had your day and uh, it's time to move on. You've had your day and it's time to move on. This, this is really sad. It's sad for me to listen to this. And I'm, I'm not even, look, if Pat Robertson's point is Trump's a complex guy and he's got many great virtues and he's got some flaws too, that's true. Uh, that describes everybody, except everybody's got flaws. Not everybody has heroic virtues or record of accomplishment. But I see his point. I see, I see what he's saying. And uh, th this is going to be a question that, that is debated for a while. Is President Trump going to continue to lead the party? Is he going to run again, say in 2024, uh, you know, assuming that Biden gets it this time or, or not? Is he, is he just going to go away to the side? Uh, you know, I, I see, I, I see that there is an argument. I understand the argument of just go away. You've had your time. Now it's time for somebody else. Okay, fine. People, when they leave the presidency, they just often for ex-presidents, it's good when they go into obscurity. But here's my question. Who follows Trump? Who else? Are there a lot of people who want to? 
who has the courage, who has the character, who has the chutzpah to follow Trump? I mentioned this at, at the TPUSA event the other day. I said, I hope Trump lives a very long time. I hope he has a very nice long life. When he, when he eventually goes, as we all go, he may give his body to science. I hope he gives his spine to the GOP. Who's going to take up that Trumpian mantle? Who's going to fight like Trump fights? Who's going to change the priorities of the establishment and f- at least fight the priorities of the establishment the way th- that Trump did singularly? I don't know. If Trump leaves on January 20th, and if someone is willing to step up and take that mantle and fight and fight for that make America great again agenda, uh, then there's an argument for Trump, you know, supporting that person. If nobody does, then I want that fight. I want Trump to be fighting from outside of the office and fighting to get back in too. A lot remains to be seen. I, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence given this COVID relief bill, quote unquote, that just came out of Congress. I don't have a lot of confidence that there are a ton of politicians out there who can step up and who can speak up. And, and uh, perhaps Robertson would agree. I don't know. He hasn't consulted me on this, but uh, this is going to be, uh, Pat Robertson is a representative of a, of serious, you know, right-wing conservatives, not squishy Republicans, and of people who take their religion seriously. Obviously, uh, Pat Robertson's been a televangelist for many, many decades, describing the cultural issues, the feminist agenda, making people become witches and things like that. Speaking of the strange sexual agendas, Eddie Izzard, Eddie Izzard, who is a British actor, comedian, I guess. I've heard the name, but I couldn't really pick him out of a lineup, especially now. Uh, Eddie Izzard is now identifying as a lady. Now, Eddie Izzard apparently has had a sort of complex sexual confusion for a number of years now, but he had just announced a couple days ago he's, he wants to be called a woman. So I go to Eddie Izzard's Wikipedia page and I, I was not shocked that a person from show business is confused about sexuality. That is the rule, not the exception. What was, what was shocking and scandalizing though is within minutes perhaps of Eddie Izzard making this announcement, his entire Wikipedia page had the pronouns changed from him to her. This is a guy who's been in show business for decades. He's obviously a dude. No one is confused about it. He looks like a dude. He talks like a dude. He's presented himself as a dude until five minutes ago. The minute he says, I'm going to identify as a chick now, all of a sudden, big technology, the, the enforcers of our new standards, go in and they change everything. And so this is what I found on Wikipedia. It said, Izzard is gender fluid and calls herself somewhat boy-ish and somewhat girl-ish. She uses transgender as an umbrella term. When asked what pronouns she prefers, Izzard said either he or she. That was in 2019, so just a year ago. In December 2020, Izzard stated a preference for she and her exclusively. In the past, Izzard identified as a transvestite, and she also called herself a lesbian trapped in a man's body. That's how I identify too. And a complete boy plus half girl. Well, I don't identify that way, but I don't even know what that means because that doesn't mean anything. That is a, a sort of bizarre flight of fancy. It doesn't mean anything. Maybe the guy is suffering from a, a serious you know, psychological issue or confusion, but regardless, you can't be a complete boy plus half a girl. You can't be boy, you, you can be boyish and girlish in that 
we all have aspects of our personality that are slightly more masculine or slightly more feminine, but you can't be both a boy and a girl at the same time. And a boy can't become a girl and a girl can't become a boy. He's a man and we're, uh, I, I, I don't even take issue with the idea that people would have these delusions or even that some of their friends and family would indulge those delusions. My issue is that the established institutions, Wikipedia, the mainstream media, now government, uh, educational institutions, they are indulging the, the fantasies. That would be bad enough. And worse than that, they are coercing all of us into indulging those fantasies too. What do we do about that? You know, Poland has an answer here. Poland came out and uh, just the other day, and they're going to fine social media companies. This is a bill that's up. They're threatening this. They're going to fine social media companies that censor lawful speech. This is not a perfect analogy, but it's getting at the issue. So Poland, if there's speech that's legal for you to say in public, according to the government, then they are requiring social media platforms to defend that speech. There are going to be some squishes or maybe people who call themselves libertarian or I don't know, whatever they're going to say. They're going to say, this is outrageous. The government has no right to tell a private company what they can't enforce their standards. You can't legislate morality. You can't, okay, whatever slogans or bumper stickers you want to say. The fact of the matter is all laws legislate morality. Every society everywhere for all of human history has had standards and there are limitations on certain speech because language is limited. If you call a man he, you necessarily won't call him she. If you call the man she, you can't call him he. If he's he or she, you're, you're not saying anything about that. You have to communicate things that have clarity. Words are symbols and they signify certain things. And you do have to signify certain things unless you want to descend into uh, random sort of tribes of animals who just babble to themselves all day long, but don't actually have meaningful speech. So you do have to say these things. And politics is much larger than I think a lot of conservatives have been deluding themselves for, for, for a number of decades now buying into this kind of pseudo libertarian notion that there's no role for the government. If you want to look, Google's censoring you, Google is, and Wikipedia and big tech are forcing you to violate not just your conscience, but violate your own eyes and rational faculties and say that a man is a woman. Well, I don't know, build your own Wikipedia, build your own Google. Come on, build your own Twitter. You have no right. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. This is the kind of moral idiocy, political ignorance, and cowardice that has allowed the left to run roughshod over the culture, even when Republicans win elections, because all Republicans ever are willing to do is cut taxes a little bit. And by the way, still spend more money. We'll just go into more debt. They're not ever willing to do anything on the culture. And the excuse they've found is, well, I can't legislate morality. The left does, and the right used to, and every, everyone else acknowledges that all laws legislate morality, but I can't. So we're going to allow these giant corporations that have unprecedented power over our public square, we're going to let them just dictate our conversations and dictate the way that we're even allowed to view reality. I don't think so. Poland, which has often saved Western civilization, let's not forget Jan Sobieski, the Battle of Vienna, 
several centuries ago, coming out, saving Western civilization, once again, has a pretty grounded view of these things. Let's not forget when the Soviet Union invaded and they're, you know, trying, they're still trying to batter Europe, destroy the Western world. And what happens? Pope John Paul II, a Polish guy, shows up to Poland. Million Poles come out and they say, we want God, we want God. The Poles have a, I don't know if it's built into them, but they've got this kind of common sense. And here they're saying, we're not going to let these insane corporations completely undermine our culture, completely undermine our institution, take over our values. If there is going to, if we are going to have to deal with what the conservative thought means in a world after Trump. Hope he gets four more years or maybe 40 more years. But if he doesn't, one thing we got to take from this guy is courage and common sense. Trump actually gave a good answer on this. It was kind of the wrong answer for policy on the transgender question, but it was the right answer for politics. He was once asked, what do you think about the North Carolina laws and the bathroom laws? He goes, look, I don't know what's going on, but come on, what was going on before? How did it work before? I don't think this is a big problem. I don't think transgender bathrooms, I don't think this is the biggest national problem. However it was working before, that's fine. He got the particulars of that issue a little wrong, but he was deferring to prudence, common sense, using the good brain that God gave you and having a little courage too. That is going to, that will either be the future of, of the conservative movement or the conservative movement will not have a future. That's Poland. Gotta love Poland. Meanwhile, here, we've completely lost our minds. The left is getting much more aggressive. This was actually a story from last week. We didn't get a chance to cover it, but it's ramping up again. And so I think it's, it's well worth doing. I, I was just flying all over, uh, flew to Georgia, flew to Florida, flying back. And there, you know, different airlines are, are more serious than others about making you wear the mask. It's got to go over your nose. It's They'll come, they'll touch you, they'll wake you up, they get you to put the mask up over your nose, which seems counterproductive to me because if they touch you, they're probably more likely to infect themselves. In any case, an airline, United Airlines, kicked a family off the plane because a two-year-old would not wear a mask. Listen to this woman's story. We just got kicked off the flight because our two-year-old would not put on a mask and we tried i mean i'm gonna put a video on and they're sending all of our bags and adeline's car seat to new york and we're banned off of united forever because a two-year-old would not put on a mask you can actually see they recorded a little bit of the interaction on the airplane listen to the cold the the cold lack of compassion from these people just following the orders from their leftist overlords. So the guy, is, the guy, you know, the steward comes up. He says, you got to get off. He goes, you got to be kidding. I'm sorry, sir. And I took that opportunity and I ran with it. You see this? I'm literally covering her face. I gave you an opportunity to put the mask on your two-year-old. You have to leave the plane, sir. Do you guys do this all the time or what? Like... What? This is compliance. I'm literally holding it over my. He's like muzzling his daughter. This is compliance right here. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. We can't force her. She's literally holding it, and she's. You need to muzzle the two-year-old. Even though, remember, Fauci told us not to do that like six months ago. Well, never mind. Sorry. That's what you got to do. The left is getting much, much bolder. Much, much bolder than that. 
And we, we need to, I think we need to go a little further. We need to not just say, hey, you do you, you choose whatever you want. If it makes you feel better, do this, do that. I think we need to be bolder and say, no, it's disordered. With few exceptions, it is disordered to wear masks in public. That's what banditos do. That's not what civilized people do. Just, just like with the mail-in voting, it's disordered to have widespread mail-in voting. There are limited cases where it's fine if you if you're frail or infirm or you're, let's say you're overseas and maybe then you can have an absentee ballot and you got to request it. So I'm not saying this one size fits all ideological solution, but generally speaking, the masks are disordered. The mail-in voting is disordered. We need to be able to say that. We need to have the courage to not just say, do whatever you want, but actually you should do the things that we are suggesting you do because we've used our faculties of reason and our common sense. Left is getting a lot bolder. Bill de Blasio, out in New York, he's not just saying, look, we need for justice. We need these compassionate policies. No, he's saying, hey, we're going to redistribute all your wealth. To profoundly change the distribution of resources. Uh, I like to say very bluntly, our mission is to redistribute wealth. A lot of people bristle at that phrase. That is, in fact, the phrase we need to use. This reminds me of Beto O'Rourke when all the Democrats were saying, we're not going to steal your guns. No, we just want common sense reform. We're against illegal guns. That was always Mike Bloomberg's line. He was mayors against illegal guns. Show me the other group. Where's the other mayors for illegal guns? No, but it was never about illegal guns. They just want to make guns illegal. And Beto O'Rourke comes out. He says, hell yeah, we're going to take your guns. <laughs> oh man, check out this cool, this cool skateboard move. I don't know. What are skateboard moves? I don't know. I could, is that an Ollie? Is that one? Who knows? These guys are getting bold. And the thing is, Beto O'Rourke is a total loser, right? And he lost the Senate and they lost the presidency. Bill de Blasio is the mayor of New York. That was at one point the most important city in the country. I don't know that it still is, but it certainly was. The left is getting much, much bolder and we need to get bolder too. Actually, speaking of New York, there is one group of Republicans there that is giving me hope. This would be the Whitestone Republican Club in Queens, in New York City. They held a Christmas party and it wasn't on Zoom. It wasn't a virtual party. It was in person and they weren't all masking themselves up and putting, you know, saran wrap all over their bodies. They walked around like normal people and actually they had a conga line. (laughs) Marching around, got that Trump flag up front fun hats, like little red fedoras, MAGA hats. <laughs> a lot of boomers, you know, it's like, it's not like they're rowdy kids or this isn't the, the proud boys, you know, it's just normal people living in New York, dancing around, having a nice time. I love it. If, if you'd played this video tw- 12 months ago, if you played it a year ago, there would be nothing newsworthy about that at all. Now, those people who are just having a Christmas party and dancing around in a very sort of modest way, they are radicals. They are conspiracy theorists. They are crazy. They're out of their mind. They're reckless, aren't they? No, they're not. They've just, the standards have changed so quickly that you, you may not have even noticed it while it was happening. And people have just gone along with it like frogs boiling in water. We should not do that. We should do, we should not go along with the new standards. 
we should actively buck up against them. And you don't need to be some kind of reactionary to do that and fall into all the traps that the left sets for you. You can just go about and live your life and take off that stupid mask and go to Christmas parties and see your family and wave the Trump flag, wave the American flag, not be, you know, not, not be living in fear of Antifa smacking you in the head with a brick. Not, don't let them bully you into submission, whether it's Antifa or whether it's those bureaucratic bullies either. Go around, live your life, have a little conga line. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of resistance that we're going to need. And it's going to have to be consistent. We're going to need courage to do it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production assistant, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.